Hi, 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 Rick. How are you? Hi, Yevgeny. I'm doing fine. How are you today? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm fine too, and uh, I, I, I'm very glad that spring has uh, has really come now. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. I, uh, I, uh, I'm tired from uh, long Russian winter. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think if nobody nobody likes a long Russian winter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we, we say that spring has sprung. Uh-huh. Ah, okay. Ah, it's it's very interesting. Yeah, spring, spring uh, yeah, spring like jumped, yeah. <laughs> spring has sprung. Uh-huh. Okay, it's very interesting. Uh, uh Rick, yeah. I I I know that uh, you are speaking several foreign languages mm -hmm. and it's very interesting for me and maybe for other uh, uh English learners. Uh what uh, what uh, what are your methods of uh of studying of foreign languages. Well, thank you, Yevgeny. Um, yeah, you know, the methods that I have used or the methods that I employ have varied over the years. Uh -huh. I began studying my first foreign language was Spanish, uh -huh. as because I, you know, in the United States, that's a very popular. Yeah. Uh, foreign language to study because, because, uh, and, and and maybe especially in, in, in the south states of United States yeah? well especially in the southwest southwest uh, uh, in in the western states uh, I'm yeah. from California and we have a very large uh, Spanish-speaking population uh, uh, our state along with the, the neighboring states were originally uh, conquered or uh, discovered uh, Yeah. by the Spanish Empire, later it became Mexico, and then finally, after uh, uh, the uh, Mexican-American War in the 1840s, the territory was ceded to the United States. So, we have the legacy of Spanish. In fact, in California, almost every city has a Spanish name. Yeah. We never translated them into English, so we have San Diego, San Francisco, Sacramento, etc. Well, my, when I started studying Spanish, we did a little bit in school, in elementary school, grade school, and it was just simple, you know, learn a few, you know, phrases and things like that. When we started seriously in the seventh grade in the United States at that time, that was called junior high school. It's really the first grade of the secondary system. Um, they used what they called an oral-aural approach. Oral meaning speaking, aural meaning listening. Uh -huh. and, okay. and what they did was they didn't give us books. Uh -huh. uh, we, we strictly learned dialogues. Uh -huh. You know, that was it. And I still remember the, the name of the first dialogue in Spanish. It was called Before Class. Yeah. In Spanish, they say, Antes de la Clase. Uh -huh. And it was maybe five, ten sentences we had to memorize. Yeah. So that was the first system. You, you, you memorize a dialogue, which I don't think is a good idea, but they thought was a great idea. <laughs> and, and the teacher, she was American, but she spoke Spanish very well, had a master's degree. Yeah. Mrs. Argyris. Uh, she had a Greek name, but she was, you know, she was Anglo. Yeah. Uh, and then they would do is they would do, just do things like substitution drills, you know, where you go, I'm going to the school, I'm going to the university, you know, I went, you know, that sort of stuff. And then she would show pictures of a businessman or an airplane, and then you'd have to repeat the word in Spanish. So they did that an hour, 50 minutes a day, five days a week. And then later on uh, in the upper grades, we got a book finally, and we started doing more traditional. We did the reading and the grammar and answered the questions at the 
And, uh, but uh, Rick, a lot of of uh, of people uh, uh, they complain that uh, um, school uh, school studying of foreign languages are uh, not so uh, not so interesting because a lot of grammar, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, exercises, and uh, uh, very few dialogues, very few conversations. And but that was the yeah. that was the traditional approach during the time of my parents. Okay, uh -huh. yeah. when my parents were in school, they were in the 1930s, 1940s. They were in school, and they studied French or Spanish, and they yeah. couldn't say a thing. My grandmother went to the schools in the 1920s, and they would just you know do the grammar, yeah, read, yeah, yeah. translate from Latin or translate from French into English and back and forth. And the the idea was then. Uh, that if you wanted to learn to speak the language, you'd have to go to a place where the language was spoken. But you needed the, the grammar. Yeah. You needed the, the foundation. The problem in the United States at that time, English has always been widely spoken. It's the We don't have an official language in the U.S., if you can yeah. believe that. Uh, we have de facto, but not de jure. Uh -huh. uh, 28 states have English as the official language. The rest of the states have no official language. In the U.S., the federal government doesn't have it. Uh, because when they wrote the Constitution, the founders sort of assumed that everybody would be smart enough to figure it out, since the Constitution's in English. <laughs> but now it's a political hot potato, as we say, because of the large Hispanic community, and their votes are necessary, and so nobody wants to offend them. But anyway, getting back to that. So the, the old traditional approach was, you know, study the grammar, uh, have the text in the in the target language translate to English and then translate part of it back into the target language. Okay. The problem is this: the reason that language study in the United States, in the main, in the main, is not successful, yeah. especially in the secondary school system, is there's no reason to speak the foreign language. Mm -hmm. There's no benefit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here in the Czech Republic, there's a huge benefit. Uh -huh. to speak English or German. Yeah. It makes all the difference in the world because you get a, you can get a better job. Yeah. There are so many jobs. If you want to work yeah. in a bank yeah. as, a, as a bank lender, an officer, yeah, yeah. if you don't speak English or, or German uh -huh. or both, forget it. You have no chance. You have not. We say you don't have a chance in hell. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a chance in hell to get the job, and especially if you want to work for a foreign company, just like in Moscow. When I lived in Moscow, I, I speak Russian reasonably well, but I had to hire people who spoke English well yeah. because our company was headquartered in the United States and the European headquarters were in uh, UK. Yeah, we have uh, now a very um, a, a, a lot, uh, lots of... Uh, of international uh, business, yeah, in international companies, yeah, and of course they need people with uh, uh, with knowledge of uh, of one or better two or three foreign languages. Yes. Well, I worked at Citibank. I I was uh, the uh, vice pre regional vice president for equipment fin uh, for asset based lending for Citibank uh, in two thousand two to two thousand four, and I set up operations in Moscow, mm -hmm. and. All the all the bankers that worked at Citibank were Russians, yeah. but their English was absolutely perfect. Yeah, oh. I mean, not good, perfect. Uh -huh. I mean, perfect as as a foreigner can get. Accents some are better than others, but the knowledge, the re or the ability to write, uh 
uh-huh. is absolutely at an extraordinarily high level. So you have a reason yeah. uh, in a place. Well, Moscow is a little more difficult because it's a huge. Russia's big, mm-hmm. and you have a big internal market. Yeah. Czech is more is a more acute uh, reason because here. Uh, the best jobs are with the foreign companies. It's a small market. So you have to learn it. In the United States, you're not going to get a better job mm-hmm. if you speak Spanish perfectly. You're not really. There are some places you have an advantage because if you work in, in uh, places like San Jose, where there's a big Mexican population, yeah. or you work in Miami, if you want to be uh, a public servant, work for the city, uh, they have that as a requirement that you pass an exam because a lot of people cannot, especially in Miami, a lot of people cannot speak English. They only speak uh, Spanish because you have so many immigrants coming in, a constant flow. And over time they learn, but you always have this constant flow of people. So that was that's the main reason why the education system, because they're not they don't have a responsibility to prepare you to speak the language. So they take the whatever approach, whatever is in vogue. So that was the... So that was a, um, a movement against the traditional do dialogues. But the problem with that was, Yevgeny, yeah. dialogues are dialogues. Yeah, That's what yeah. they are. <laughs> they don't teach you to interact. Yeah. And they don't, uh, it would have been much better uh, to use the link method where you, you, got, where you received lots of input, yeah. lots of things that were interesting, uh-huh. you know, sports with the boys. Uh, you know, girls, they like romance novels or they like fashion or whatever. If they could have listened to radio broadcasts on tape and had the text so they could listen to the broadcast, read the text, look up the words, learn it, listen to it again. That was the most disappointing part because after four years of Spanish, you would see some Spanish speakers, let's say Mexicans, on TV talking about, I don't know, going to the fair or, you know, uh, going on vacation, you couldn't, we couldn't understand a word. Uh-huh. Yeah. Thought, after four, you think, my yeah, God. It can be, yeah. You think, this is impossible. Yeah. Uh, I, so I took Spanish four, uh, four years, three years in junior high school and uh, 10th grade in high school, Mr. Lopez. And, yeah. you know, they, there it was, you know, he was a Mexican-American, you know, master's degree in Spanish, yeah. spoke language, you know, perfectly. And then we were trying to read Cervantes, you know, Don Quixote, and, and read a book, and, um, boring, learning grammar, and, and crap like that. And we still couldn't understand when the, we ran into Mexicans at the fair or at the market. And uh, instead of, uh, you know, learning the real language, yeah. uh, it was too abstract. I, so I took Latin in the 11th grade. And that was your, of course, no one's going to speak Latin, right? And yeah. uh, so that was the, the classic case of, you know, read the text, uh, learn the grammar, translate. Yeah. And, of course, Latin is a little bit, grammatically, it's like Russian, grammatically. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, Because similar, it, has, similar. it has the cases. Uh-huh. It had, the first time I came into contact with cases where you had a nominative and a genitive and, yeah, they, yeah. Uh, I think, an ablative and a dative, whatever. And I remember telling my teacher, the teacher also taught French. She was English, and she said, I said, can anybody speak with a case system? It seems impossible. She <laughs> says, no, 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 no. She yeah. says, German has it, Russian, uh, they all have it. It's very natural. She says, it's hard for us to get used to. Yeah. And English used to have cases. We have remnants yeah. of cases. Not yeah. But uh, we used to have cases, you know, uh, 800 years ago or something like that. So that was a traditional approach. But that was different because with Latin, all you want to learn how to do is to read it. And uh, you don't want to speak it. 
so I, I finished off high school with that, and then I, I was wanted to take something different, um, and I chose Russian uh, when I went to college. And that was a big difference um, because I have to say in the United States, they do a much better job at the university level of teaching foreign language. Um, in California, at the University of California, there was a requirement that you have one year of foreign language, which I thought was stupid because that's very little. Yeah, of course. Uh, but there was a huge, oh, I mean, huge protest by students against it. I mean, this was the era of the 1970s. Students were protesting something, always. Yeah. And they were saying, oh, it's awful. You know, we should learn the cultures. They didn't want to learn foreign language, you know, that type of thing. It was crazy. This was a left, more left-wing than right-wing, but they, did, they stuck, with, stuck with the requirement. And, but I had a major in international relations, uh -huh. uh, and uh, we were required two years. So I took three years. I took three years of Russian, as I mentioned before, my... My uh, teacher was uh, was Polish uh, and uh, Belarusian. But uh, uh, but Rick, what was uh, your uh, main reason for studying Russian? Because it's uh, it's a very difficult language, yeah? Is it? We, it was yes. My <laughs> my main reason, pardon me, was yeah. at that time I thought I wanted to become perhaps a diplomat. Okay, uh -huh, okay. this is 1971. So we're at the Kissinger is uh, is the um, uh, Secretary of State, our Minister of Foreign Affairs. Mm -hmm. This is the time of detente, if you remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This this is the uh, the height of the Cold War, yeah. uh, and uh, Russian was considered going to be an important language yeah. uh, in the future. Uh, also, Pepsi Cola had just opened up in Russia, uh -huh. so there was the beginning of some business opportunities in the Soviet Union. Yeah, yeah. And so I decided I'd take a stab at it. I, I would try it. Now, Mr. Minkowski made it easy because the book we used was a book that had dialogues. Uh -huh. uh, but what he would do is he, we didn't memorize the dialogues. We used the dialogues as a vehicle to learn the language. Uh -huh. And so we, were, we met five days a week, an hour a day. And he was very funny. He was, very, he was a polyglot. Uh -huh. and he was a natural bilingual for Polish and, Russia, and Belarusian. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, when Stalin and Hitler divided up Poland, he was in the eastern side. He was sent to a concentration camp uh -huh. at 15. And he said that was the way he learned Russian real quick. <laughs> very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> so he learned it by, 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 by such uh, circumstances. Yeah. Uh -huh. Under a certain set of circumstances. Uh -huh. He learned it very quickly. And, of course, when he came back, he immigrated to the United States. And then he got a, uh, a master's degree in, uh, I believe, uh, history, and he studied Russian language, you know, further at the University of California in, at Berkeley. So, he, you know, he took all the formal courses later on. Uh, but he had, he also spoke French, and he also uh, taught Spanish, Spanish and French and German. So he could do those three plus, you know, he did about six languages or seven in total. His English was perfect. And so he, he understood what it took to learn a language. And he was very easy on us. Because he said, you know, you need to make mistakes. And he says, Russian is difficult for English speakers. So it was a soft approach, and he worked on, you know, learning the first thing so we could learn the, the alphabet, okay? Yeah. And then we learned, you know, phrases. I remember the first day, he came to class. And he was a very Russian-looking guy, a little, little guy with a goatee and, you know, mid-40s. And he was very, uh, you know, what we call happy-go-lucky, in Russian, you know, very nice. 
And the first thing he said was, Privyat Tavarishchi. <laughs> and um, we learned, the first word we learned was Privyat. And he says, it's like Pri in Pri, P-R-I, and, yeah. and Viet, like in Vietnam. Place you <laughs> want to go. We learned Privyat. And then he, was, he taught us a little bit of linguistics about, uh, you know, what we call, um, uh, you know, Bs and Ps and uh, voiced and voiceless consonants. Uh-huh. You say Bop. And you know, Bob in Russian, yeah, yeah. you know, Lop and not Lob. Yeah. And so we learned that. And then we practiced the dialogues and he would read them and we'd listen to the native speakers on tape. And then he would ask questions and we'd get up and make fools of ourselves. OK, <laughs> but he was fine. As long as you worked hard and everybody got B's and A's. You know? And uh, he took his own pace because he figured that most people would drop out. Most people dropped out. And only a few of us went on. Uh, we went to, when I went to the University of California, it was a different story. It was much more difficult, uh, much more academic approach. But they used a combination. And that was we went to a different text. Um, we used Havrovina, you know, Russian as we speak it. Yeah, yeah. The Pulkina. Yeah, later. yeah. I know these uh, books. Yeah, of course. You know, the books, Pulkina. I, I have one right here next to my desk, okay? And um, but there again, it was they only spoke in Russian in the class. It was good. And these were all professors of literature. One was of linguistics. She's still alive. And they only spoke in Russian. They spoke very clearly. And we would, uh, you know, work on the grammar and they'd work on the text and there'd be discussions and we would talk. And and so that was better. Uh, it was a combination approach. Uh-huh. But, we, uh, but Rick, maybe uh, we, uh, we continue this uh, interesting uh, conversation about Russian and other your uh, foreign foreign languages the next time. Yeah, maybe it's uh, it's okay it's okay for first uh, uh, first uh, first interview about uh, foreign study. Yeah, foreign language study. Okay. Very good. We'll talk. Okay. Next. Thank you. Thank you very much for your for your interview. Thank Good. you. I'm glad. Okay. Bye-bye.